Hello and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. This is your host, Dan Healy. I'm the CCO at EMG. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Senior Vice President and Global Head of Commercial Excellence at Grunenthal Group, Florent Edouard. Good afternoon. Hello, hello. A little introduction for those listeners who don't know you already. Uh, Florent's career has been very far reaching, uh, held positions across several places in Europe, ranging from France, the Netherlands and the UK, and has also worked as far away as Japan. So a fantastic spread of workplaces there. Prior to his current role at Grunenthal, Florent held several positions at AstraZeneca during his 12 years with them, including VP of Marketing and Global Head of Analytics and Intelligence. He's at the forefront of salient conversations about Pharma's future and has recently appeared as a guest speaker at Reuters event, Pharma Customer Engagement, as well as publishing compelling articles on the future of Pharma's marketing. And he's one of the most prominent thought leaders within Pharma today. So really pleased to have him here with us today. Really happy to be with you. Brilliant. So if we start with um, the industry in totals, before you entered the pharma industry, your focus was actually slightly different from what I understand. It was on more finance and the analytics side. What, what was it that influenced this shift in industry uh, and the shift in career for you? Well, I would love to say, you know, I met a patient and suddenly I felt like compelled to join healthcare to save patients. That's not true. I think it was serendipity. I was actually looking uh, to hire people and I had friends who told me, you know, we are st- starting a, a new company. We are launching a startup and would you be interested to join us? And discussing with them, I was like, you know what? Those guys are cool. When I went to, to meet them for the first time, um, the guy who opened the door was wearing, you know, roller blades and he was in T-shirt and jeans, which was a big change pursued the culture I found in banking, which was very, you know, serious and traditional. And I was like, okay, why not launch a startup? Why not go for the entrepreneur adventure? And I really liked it. Uh, we were quite successful there. And that... Uh, happened to be in healthcare, but it could have been in entertainment. It could have been, you know, anywhere. What drove me was really this idea of going and creating a business. And then at the end, we sold it. uh, And that's when I joined Big Pharma. Brilliant. So from rollerblades and jeans through to to Big Pharma, there's certainly a a big shift there from your side. Yes, as well. I mean, you, you had to be more, you know, serious looking at that time in Big Pharma. Now, I think, you know, with... With COVID, the lockdown and the remote working, many people may be wearing jeans and rollerblades during very, very serious, you know, management board. I can, I can imagine. I, I personally aren't, aren't wearing the rollerblades, but I have worn jeans, I suppose. Now, to, to, talking of this, then you've got you've got marketing and commerce, and they're as much about creativity as they are about analytics. Within your team. How do you build an environment which actually encourages this creativity, innovation, and and the ongoing sharing of ideas? That's that's a permanent work because pharma, specifically big pharma, is very risk adverse, and it's quite interesting to see that currently most of the innovation actually happens in smaller structures that are doing partnerships with big pharma. That's true in research and development, but that's also true in customer engagement. And so to make sure that our teams uh, can operate 
seamlessly in that environment. We make sure that they feel free. We make sure that they feel in a riskless environment. They need some psychological safety and they need also a lot of exposure to what's happening outside of our company. So one, our role as senior managers is to make sure we bring the outside in. So for instance, we just did a series of events all online with, with our teams on what will be the future of marketing. And we had, you know, external people coming and joining and talking around artificial intelligence, around big data, around customer experience, around what it takes to be an entrepreneur inside a corporation. What culture do you need? What values? Which behavior do you need to demonstrate? And I think that's by allowing them to test and fail sometimes and recognize failure and learning that we manage to keep, you know, both having a very, very solid science based on data, but also some creativity and some innovation because we can try stuff and correct when it's not good from the first time. Brilliant. And I, lo I love that concept of allowing people, you know, encouraging that environment where you allow people to make mistakes. Sometimes people are so wary of actually making mistakes, they it sort of stifles the uh, the innovation within them. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And that's, it's, you know, sharing your own failure in front of people publicly saying, you know what, I did that wrong in the past and this is what I learned from it is critical for any modern manager, I think. If you can't do that, people will not feel empowered to try new things. And that's when innovation is going to stop. Yeah, it's a great way to build trust. No, complete, completely agree. You, you, you touched on um, artificial intelligence there. Um, it's obviously got the power to assist businesses in, in much better understanding their markets. Where, where do you see artificial intelligence fitting into the future of, of commerce in terms of providing new insights into the behavior of the market? Well, I think, I think we, we have not started to see even the beginning of the AI applications in business. But, you know, we already see some of them that gives us, give us a trend. For instance, the volume of data, the just, you know, everyone has been talking about big data. But now that we have created our own internal data stack, we see, for instance, that in six months, I'm sitting on billions and billions of rows of data inside the company. And there's no human brain that can pass through, sort, analyze all that. So that's where you need those artificial intelligence. That's where you need those machine learning algorithms so that they can detect patterns in the data and that they can alert the human operator saying, you know what, in this territory, I see this trend, which is not the same trend as in the other territories. So, you know, by comparison, it, something must be happening there. And you can, you can use that, you know, but on a production line, but you can also use that on marketing campaign and digital campaigns and all that. One of the practical usage we have done, for instance, with that was not on what I would call, you know, hardcore data, which are numbers, but on text. We have all those systems where people enter text. Can be their personal development plan, can be their yearly objective, can be the, the, the report after customer visits or the content or their marketing plan, the account plans and all that. We are passing through that data with machine learning algorithm to understand across 15 countries and nine languages 
What are those people asking us? What, where do they need help? What are they focused on? Where can we add value by delivering training courses and, and, and things like that? So they are very, very tangible applications. What I think is going to happen is tomorrow we will be assisted by intelligence, by artificial intelligence. We are not going to replace the human uh, in the driver's seat, but there will be an autopilot helping us to take care of all the things that don't require a, a human judgment on the decision. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you sort of you sort of nailed the, the main point there. There is a huge amount of data, but we need to be making sure that we're using this and assessing this data for the the reason where we can actually add value, you know, how we can help. And that's sort of the the main aim behind it. Completely. No, no, completely. So stick it stick into the the artificial intelligence side and the digitalization side. Digital transformation has it's obviously been important in the past year, more more so than ever before. From a commercial and a marketing perspective, what what are the key lessons you've learned during this transition? Well, the the key uh, two key lessons I think. The first one is technology works. I mean, it can take some time. It takes a lot of goodwill and and collaboration, but you can make any digital technology work for your business, for your company, for your people. So that's the first learning. Because a couple of years ago, you know, everyone was coming, and when I say everyone, it's mostly the software vendor and the consultants were coming with, you should build that beautiful omni-channel construct, blah, 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 platforms. Uh, many companies spent a lot of money on that, and it delivered nothing. I think today, the technology is ready. You can connect all your channels with all your customers, get a clean data stack out of that, run advanced analytics and improve the customer experience you're delivering. So that's the first one. Now, this doesn't bring you anywhere if you don't create the appropriate culture and capability. And that's my second learning, which is really the slower and the slowest, sorry, moving part is the human part. Changing the behavior, changing the culture, making sure people just even reconcile their own internal schizophrenia, which is in my daily life. I'm using Twitter, I'm using Instagram, I'm using Snapchat and all that stuff. And then as soon as I become a corporate citizen, I use email and I use email only because that's the only approved channel and all the rest of the digital world disappears. Just, you know, helping with that digital schizophrenia, making them one and saying, when you come to the office, you can use any type of channel. Yes, you can WhatsApp your colleagues. Yes, you can interact on Snapchat. Yes, you can exploit all the digital at your disposal to interact with your customers. Already that takes a lot of time. And that's a deep need in terms of behavioral change. In the same way that most of most people are not analytical experts. But when you come into a space where there is so much data that you need to look at things that are more complicated than just correlations, like, you know, time series analytics and, and, and uh, predictive models, then you need to educate people on the proper usage of data from finding it, cleaning it, presenting it, telling stories with the data. And, and that's a part that takes the most time. But you can get it right. I mean, and we see... Here and there, you know, with some of our affiliate and some of our teams, some ramping up faster than others, and they become better versions of themselves. They are very happy to work in that new world. 
No, that's brilliant. And like you said, the it's that transition's been been sort of forced. It's the tech is ready then. We obviously got to help people, help the change the behavior of people within there, but we can get it right, like you say. And 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 speaking of transitions, re, the whole remote working situation has obviously forced uh, lots of us to reconsider their approaches to management and leadership in the past year. From your perspective, Florent, are there any people or books that have really influenced your leadership style? And has it evolved again during during this whole pandemic? <laughs> yeah, there, there, there are some. I, I, will, I will not not quote you know my my current and future and past line managers because that wouldn't <laughs> be the proper thing to do. But no, um, more 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 seriously, I think you know there are now. What's interesting that some communities have been created online during this pandemic. There are places like Clubhouse or LinkedIn or some virtual forums where people go and they talk and they talk more and more freely every day. And then you can see that you have some leaders. I mean, I'm thinking about a guy like Paul Sims, the, you know, the pharma provocateur, uh, but you also have Gary Monk, who is a digital activist. And, and, and this type of person come with, you know, interesting speeches and they ask the right question and they make the people talk about that. Now, what I've done also um, uh, during that time is that I've taken the time to take some courses at the MIT, so the Sloan School of Management, around digital and all that. And for instance, you know, one person that has completely changed my approach to social media and to data analytics is Sinan Aral, who is, you know, MIT professor and he's a specialist of social media. He published a book called The Hive Machine, and it's a fantastic readout on the impact of social media on the U.S. elections and how you can and should use social media for your own business. So there are more and more, you know, emerging leaders and communities. The, the community aspect of things is really what has changed during the pandemic in my mind. No, thanks for that. The I know that Paul Sims, he, he's done a couple of podcasts with, with this team. So he's obviously often got some really interesting things to share. I've not come across the iMachine before. So I'm going to add it to my uh, to my reading list and you'll have to give me a bit of time. But I'll, I'll let you know how I get on with that one. Like you say, there's some fantastic content out there to, to help us develop. And that's, if anything, we've got more access to it over the last year or so. As, as alluded to in the introduction, you've lived and you've studied in a, in a great variety of different countries. Now, I'm going to ask you here, what, which, which country has been your, your favourite experience and, and why would you say that? It's a hard choice. By choosing one, I'm going to make you know, a lot of enemies everywhere. But <laughs> no, I think, I think for me, the, the transforming experience has been to spend four years in Japan because Japan is a fantastic place to live. I mean, the culture is amazing. The nature is gorgeous. It's a, it's a daily surprise. There is not one day, even after four years, where you would walk around and not be surprised by something. It can be a view. It can be people behavior. It can be the way things are set up. So it's, it's a permanent uh, learning space. And at the same time, it's an incredibly hard place to work where the culture is very adverse to change where it, you need to establish trust with people before they really follow you 
and people are not easily opening to sharing what they think or what they feel and, and where you have to fundamentally change your approach to management, to interpersonal relationship. Uh, and, and that's very, very good learning for, you know, Europeans specifically, but I think also for, you know, North Americans, because one really interesting thing is when you look at the story of Japan without nearly any touch from the rest of the world, they manage to get where they are uh, at the same time as we are. And they don't need us. And sometimes, you know, you got that thinking coming from Europe. I know it better. I'm going to teach them how to do things because the way they do things is totally not efficient. But then, you know, if you take the time to understand what they do, suddenly you realize that, yeah, there is some thinking about it, usually a big lot of thinking, and it could be very, very efficient. So I think that that, that has really changed my approach to uh, uh, management, to interaction with people, and, and more broadly to consider the business. Nice, no, brilliant. That's brilliant. I remember studying the the rise of modern Japan, God, years and years ago at university. It was fascinating reading about them, uh, reading about how, how fast they obviously developed over there. And is it, is it somewhere you, you can see yourself getting back to it uh, over the next few years? Well, you know what? One day when I retire, maybe I will go back because they got, you know, the best knowledge and understanding of how to manage elderly people. And uh, it's, honestly, it's really fascinating. I know that WHO has installed there in Japan their uh, observation point for elderly care. And there are few places where I could retire, but definitely Kyoto is one of the best retirement places on the planet. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. No, that's 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 fascinating stuff. So thank you for uh, thank you for sharing, and thank you for for, for joining us uh, today, Florian. It's been a pleasure. That was a pleasure. Have a great day and have a great week. That's all we have uh, time for this week, folks. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like to hear more conversations like the fascinating one we had today, please join us again next Tuesday. Don't forget to check out our sister magazine too at emg-gold.com. Until then, take care and goodbye.